welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. I am Chip Patterson, joined by Barton Simmons. Uh, you have landed on the, the coaches, coaches episode. episode. This is the next in our series. We had the quarterback episode. We had the trenches episode. And now we're heading to the sidelines for the coaches episode. Uh, Barton, this is uh, this is... This has been a lot of fun. We've got a conversation with Bruce Feldman uh, coming up in just a little bit. Uh, how, how, how are you doing, Barton? I'm good, man. You know, I pride our loyal listeners on being not your average college football fan. You know, they want the meat. They want the weighty stuff. They want to dig in. And, uh, and, and that's what I think this conversation is going to be. Not just, your, you know, we're not just talking to Urban Meyer and Nick Saban. We're going to figure out who the real stars of the coaching community are from our boy Bruce Feldman. How, as you've gotten to know uh, assistant coaches, position coaches, you know, that's, there is an intimate relationship that you can build there that's just not possible at the head coaching level. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You got to get in with these guys before they're head coaches because once they're head coaches, you lost them. Uh, there's too many layers you got to get through to get to them. Um, so, yeah, I think, but like it's, I, it's interesting to just sort of see how guys progress in the industry, how their personalities evolve, how the how the weight of expectation and the the weight of leadership affects people. And um, I don't know, man, we're seeing it right now. Lots of these scandals going on, and and uh, I think it's uh, it's I I real like when I meet coaches, assistant coaches, head coaches, whatever, I really. I take a lot of stock in guys that are like real human beings. Mm. Like I can tell that person's a real human being. Like he's not just putting on his coach coach mask and ta- and and being being coach guy to me. And so I, I and I because I think ultimately you get your real self gets exposed. Right, it gets revealed. And so like I that's why like I really when you find a coach that really is a real human being and is a really good coach and is is authentic. Like those are the stars, and and I think when you know when Bruce starts rattling off some of the the names that he thinks are rising stars in the in the community, I guarantee you that that's a, a common trait for those guys. Who is your favorite coach? Not the best coach. Who's your favorite college football coach right now? Uh, the defensive coordinator of Notre Dame, Clark Lee. Mm. Uh, I, I I'm I'm just sort of I'm going to save my Clark Lee of. For when he starts winning a little bit, I can't go overboard yet. Um, but that I, I I just I'm sort of I gotta go with him as my number one seed. Um, but but I like you know, look when when I it was fun doing the Big Ten media days when I got to do interviews. We interviewed you know, we talked interviewed like ten of the fourteen. Um, and again, the guys that are like you can tell the guys that are authentic. I thought Paul Chris was felt incredibly authentic. I thought Jeff Brom felt incredibly authentic. Like those guys are, those guys are awesome coaches. Um, James Franklin has that is able to create that sort of relationship with everybody he talks to. Uh, is sort of this like I'm on I'm not talking above you I'm on your level, uh, and and I that's a that, that's I think that's important. I'm David Cutcliffe, throw and throw. I bet I bet David Cutcliffe is 
I think David Cutcliffe and Paul Christ are probably very similar from a personality standpoint. Would you do you agree? The uh, well, just David Cutcliffe in general will uh, wander away from football. I've, when I've spoken with Paul Christ, it is almost exclusively football. David Cutcliffe is more than happy to wander away to talk about life and hopes and dreams and such. And I enjoy that. Um, all right. Well, you want to uh, you want to jump in to Bruce? Bring it. All right. Uh, the coaches episode. Here comes Bruce Feldman. And now it is our pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast the great, the esteemed Bruce Feldman. You can read him at The Athletic. You can see him on Fox Sports. He is coming to us live from Austin. Uh, His crew will have Texas, Maryland at week one. You've been at Penn State. I know this is the time of year where you're you're trying to to travel and and gain as many insights across the country as possible, Bruce. So let's, let's kick it off with this. Where is a campus or a program that you have visited in the last couple of weeks where you feel like, man, I, I am impressed, or they, they are doing a good job, this thing is moving in the right direction? Well, I would definitely say Penn State, where I was yesterday, was impressive, just in the, in the caliber of the freshman talent and the guys I saw. Um, you know, there was, you know, obviously everybody knows that Saquon's gone and you still have Trace McSorley, but I think... I was, you know, I did one of their games last year, but two years ago I went through there in the spring and they had some big athletic receivers. It wasn't just Juwan, Juwan Johnson. Then it was, uh, you know, you had Irv Charles, who's no longer in the program, but like Mike Gesicki, they look like they had some power forwards. Now I think what really stands out to me is the caliber offensive linemen they have. I think they have more impressive linebackers athletically and it's more than just, just Saquon. And I think you see it and, to me, um, you know, I was just really impressed by especially the freshmen everywhere you looked. I mean, the running backs, they have a couple of studs. I think their quarterback room is really impressive because you got Trace McSorley, who is, is not only a terrific playmaking quarterback, but he's everything they want from a character and leadership standpoint. So he sets the tone. You got behind him, you got Tommy Stevens, you know, who's a, who's a really talented kid. He's bided his time. He's there. And then I think they have two really good young kids. I, I mean, you know, Barton probably already knows this because he's so deep in recruiting anyway. But um, just just watching it there, I was like, man, they had they had kids who really, really physically. Will Levis, his arm yeah. is about as 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 strong as anything I've seen in a long time in college football. I know he's a Connecticut kid. It's not like there's great football there, but I was blown away by just the arm talent he had. And so there's a lot of stuff to work with there. And I think, um, you know, I, I knew they were talented. I just, the, the caliber of young talent really, really caught my eye. And this is the coaching preseason episode. Uh, you are sort of, I think, probably as connected and um, talk to as many coaches, see as many programs as there is out there, which is why, you know, we really wanted to get you on for your insight. And we're going to dig in to some of the assistant coaches and coordinators. But while we're on Penn State, uh, you know, we released an anonymous poll at CBS on overrated, underrated coaches. And you, were, you, you wrote a pretty good column defending the idea that James Franklin might be uh, overrated. I, I assume that's, you know, with, with a fresh look at that program, you come away um, still feeling pretty good about – James Franklin and just sort of what he's done to build that thing up at Penn State. 
Yeah, you know, and I saw that, and I know it's hard for, you know, it's easy to find guys you'd say is underrated, and I know a lot of guys may not like James Franklin personally in the business. They may think he's brash or, you know, just a little bit too too out there for them maybe, but if you look at what he did at Vanderbilt, I mean, you obviously know that area better than anybody, but they were horrible for a long time. They hadn't been in the top 25 in, in almost a century and by his second year and then his third year, two of his three seasons there, they finish in the top 25. It wasn't like they were, they were trending upward. They were 4-20 and 20 before he took over. And then he leaves there. He goes to Penn State. They have nine scholarship offensive line, which is probably half of what most teams have. And by year three, they're beating Ohio State. They're winning the Big Ten, and they're playing in the Rose Bowl, and they finish in the top ten. And they did it again last year. And, you know, finished by beating, I think, one of the five best coaches in, in the country and Chris Peterson, who had a good team. Um, you know, I, I just, I get it. There's, there's a lot of terrific coaches out there. I'm not sure many, if any, short of Nick Saban, have really accomplished any more impressive work than he has in the last decade than what James Franklin's done, both at Bandy, considering how bad they were, and what he's done with Penn State coming out of those sanctions and just how bad the Penn State image was. It's just, to me, that's what that's what really caught my eye on that front. And did, uh... You alluded to this, too. Like, like I, I, just the follow-up, too. Like I think, remember, like he recruited Trace McSorley to Vanderbilt and then felt like he was good enough to bring to Penn State. Uh Zach Cunningham was a kid they recruited. Uh, Oren Burks was a kid they recruited. He just got drafted. You know, the uh, Amani Oruwarie, who's now preseason All Big Ten, would have been a Vandy guy. Christian Campbell would have been like. There's all these guys that would have been at Vanderbilt and had balled out at Penn State, and I think that's as, as much of a testament as anything in their terms of the way they evaluate and develop. Yeah, and it, and it's sticking your neck out. I mean, look. Uh, Bob Shoup, I guess, was the, the, his old defensive coordinator at Vandy. Was the first one to, re, you know, to kind of buy in a little bit on Trace as a, as a, as a defensive back because he was a safety quarterback and he was winning state championships at Virginia. And then they had Ricky Ronnie come out to see him throw uh, in his spring. It was kind of like a little de facto pro day, and they become impressed with him. And they're like, "Hey, we we got to offer this kid as a quarterback." So to, to to go out there, and it's not like it wasn't like they were not a, you know, they're an SEC team at that point. To say, hey, we're going to take this quarterback who's maybe six feet, one seventy-five, and yeah. look what he's done. He's one of the most uh, successful quarterbacks Penn State's ever had, and his, his all the intangibles are are big plus signs of what he means to that program at Penn State. And just from talking to him, you know, we we doing a feature on him for Fox. He's, you know, he's like, hey, if James stayed at, at Vandy, I'm staying at Vandy. Wherever James was going, I was going. So I think that that speaks a little bit to to what he's about and the connection he can make with kids. And I think that factors into it too. You know, I, I, after my column went up, I talked to some, some friends who were on the analyst side and one of them was like, you know, I think there's better X and O's guys. It's like, well, yeah, there may be Gary Patterson's a phenomenal X and O's guy. Obviously Nick Saban is, I'm not sure people say Dabo Sweeney's the best X and O's guy, but I would say right now, Dabo Sweeney's one of the three best head coaches in college football. And there's a lot of elements that go into being a great, college football coach beyond just being a great scheme guy well branching off from penn state bruce i remember uh was it it was at sports illustrated right where you had the oral history of uh joe moorhead 
and, and digging into speaking to uh, people from Fordham and bringing that story back to life and to the forefront, just as you know Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley are, are starting to to really explode at Penn State last season. At what point do, in you following Moorhead's story, you know, did you see him, for example, being a head coach at an SEC school already at this point? Or is this something where even how quickly uh, he has gone, you know, from being all of a sudden the offensive coordinator and now being at Mississippi State, is does the speed of that jump surprise you at all for Moorhead? The only thing that surprised me a little bit is Joe is a Northeast guy. He's a Pittsburgh guy. You know, he obviously coached and played at Fordham in the Bronx. And to me, Starkville's about as, as Southern as you're going to get in major college football. And so I was like, hmm, that, that was an interesting fit. But look, Dan Mullen's from Delaware and went to college in Pennsylvania, so it's not like they hadn't been that road from a, a guy who maybe didn't grow up in that. I think the common denominator is you have two really smart guys, and that's a, that's a great building block to have. And, and you know what? He has been a successful head coach, and I think he, he, he built on it from, from what he was able to prove in the Big Ten, also continue to evolve scheme wise and anybody who's talked to the Moorhead knows how just smart he is. He's like a, he's a, he's a brilliant guy. And I think he has done well about who he surrounded himself with. He took some really good assistance with him and they're recruiting probably better than I think a lot of people might've guessed they would do right off the bat. And he inherited a good situation. Dan Mullen not only left him with some really stud D linemen, but you know, a couple of really dynamic running backs and obviously a terrific quarterback. So I think it's a really good situation for him to make a big splash right away. What do you think is that you know, ceiling for the Bulldogs this year? For me, I think they're the, I think they're the third best team in the SEC this year. I mean, I think Alabama's the, the team to beat, of course, out in the, in the West. But I look at how their schedule sets up. I think they can go 10-2. and two. I think Fitzgerald has a chance. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but I think he has a real chance to win the Heisman in this system. You know, I've talked a lot to the guys on that staff about what they've done because he's, he's obviously a great running quarterback and he's a big guy, but he, he's been very limited as a passer, and they want to take him up from 55% to 65% completion and obviously get the get decision-making better, get better with his footwork and timing and all that. And so, you know, we'll see. They, they, they got Trace McSorley a lot better. He went from like 55 to 67 last year, and they were taking some shots downfield. Now, they had some big athletic, really talented guy, skill guys, but I, no, I, I'm fascinated to see what, what Joe Moorhead and that staff can do in the SEC. So digging into the guts a little bit, of assistant coaches around the country. I'll, I'm going to throw a couple of them. I might throw some names at you too and, and, and see what you think about them as well. But I wanted to get your take on, as you look around the country, and there's sort of these like hot coordinator names, um, you know, the multi-million dollar coordinators now who, who everyone sort of knows about. I'm curious if there's a guy, two guys, offense, whatever, who you feel like is a coordinator in college football right now that no one's really talking about, but should be like the guy's a stud and, and not enough people know it. Who, who would you point to in that regard? You know, from the offensive side of the ball, one of the guys who's really impressed me a lot, we've done a couple other games and he gets overshadowed because his head coach is such a great defensive mind. Um, being Gary Patterson is Sonny Cumbie. 
I yeah. think he does a really good job now. Like I, as you were saying, Martin, I'm thinking about. Well, everybody knows about Brent Venables, and everybody knows right. certainly about Dave Aranda. And there's there's guys who are already out there. Um, and Sonny's out there where I think he's he's in line to get a, a head coaching job. But he's one I really think uh, is still probably underrated a little bit. And I think he's going to have a first time starting quarterback. He's got really really good skill guys now. Um, you know, they just had a big injury on their D line, but I think they're, they're going to be really good. He's somebody that I would say, just keep an eye on. He probably should get more attention because, you know, like I said, Gary Patterson gets all the attention and, and, you know, deservedly so, but I, I think, I think Sonny does a really good job. So hey, let me throw a guy at you here for this one. Uh, how much have you come in contact or observed Tony Elliott at Clemson? Because I, all you hear about is Brent Venables and, and then Dabo Sweeney, but their, their offense keeps on clicking along after Chad Morris. And I've heard, and I've never met the guy, but I've heard great things about people at Clemson and people that have visited Clemson about Tony Elliott. I'm curious if that's what a name that, that hits your radar. Yeah, it definitely does. I know he had uh, he has a pretty amazing personal story of everything he over, overcame. Very well-educated, um, just a very – uh, decent man from everybody you talk to. And I think it's impressed people what he's done and those guys, look, they're playing in playoff games and I think he's done a really good job. I, I know he was in the mix for the UCF job that Josh Heupel ended up getting. That's a good head coaching job. So I would think he can be choosy. Obviously Brent Venables on the other side of the ball is certainly going to be choosy about, you know, he feels like he has a good situation. I, I, I definitely think Tony is going to be that way too. Um, you know, I know we're going to talk about hot seat in a little bit. There's a job that's a pretty big job, not that far from him that I think he would get a look at if he, if he, you know, if he can land it as a different story, but, um, cause I think it's a, it, it'll be a coveted job, but I think he's in line for, for a, a potentially for, for a pretty good power five job that could come open near him. What do you see as the, the, the coordinator of the of the hires that were made this past cycle, um, we get we get let's stick with the coordinators right now. Is there is there one that you saw as being uh, particularly significant in the way that it changed the team's outlook in ter- in terms of immediate impact? You know, the one I don't know if I like as I'm thinking about it, the one that's kind of like I don't know if it's it's an intriguing situation. I'm, I don't know how this guy is going to do, but I think it is a pivotal hire and that's Tyson Helton at Tennessee. Yeah. You know, he's obviously Clay Helton's younger brother. He's been around some really good people. I mean, I think Jeff Brom is a phenomenal offensive coach and he worked under him at Western Kentucky before the, before Clay brought him out to, uh, out to USC. And the reason why I think it's such a big job is there's no secret. Tennessee has been a dud on offense for a while. On top of that, Jeremy Pruitt's a defensive guy, and I think he's going he's gonna to handle that side of the ball with his guys. Like he, he, he knows what's going on there, and I think he knows what he's looking for. Here you have, fortunately, and I think this is a this is key part of Pruitt's thinking, is, hey, I got an O-line guy, and I want to make sure he's on the same page with my OC because I can think of another first-time SEC head coach who didn't have that combination that blew up in his face, and that was Will Muschamp. When he's at Florida, his OC and his O-line guy were, were not on the same page, and it was, it was a disaster. And so fortunately, at least on walking in, Tyson has that dynamic. Now the question is, 
he's got a couple of quarterbacks that have some talent, but they do have some questions, you know, with, with Jarek Guarantano's consistency and certainly with Keller Christ and, you know, how well does he see it and, and, and put it together when, when everything's going on around them. But they have a couple of big athletic receivers, and I think the expectations are actually pretty low. I know Tennessee fans aren't going to love to hear that, but, you know, I think most people look at them going, eh, this is a, probably a 6-6 six and six team. And it's not like once you get past Georgia, I think South Carolina is pretty good, but the rest of the SEC East is a mixed bag, you know. And so you could be third in that league if, if you find the right mix at quarterback. So I think Tyson Helton's a very interesting, interesting hire there, and I'm curious to see how that's going to unfold. You know, the $7.5 million man, Jimbo Fisher, had a, uh, you know, it feels like Mike Elko jumping from Notre Dame to Texas A&M, getting paid whatever he's getting paid um, to go compete and basically tasked with beating Nick Saban is a pretty, uh, is a pretty critical hire for him as well. What, what, was your, what was your reaction to seeing that move from, from uh, Jimbo Fisher? I thought it was a good move because – Look, we knew that they were going to try, try obviously try to get Dave Aranda. You know, I think there was interest in Jimmy Lake from Washington, but Elko had done well at Wake Forest, where they had done a good job, and I thought he had a nice, nice transition into into Notre Dame. So I think that was a that was a very good hire from Jimbo. Um, you know, John Chavis had struggled. They they've been they've been pretty mediocre on defense for a while, and I felt like they have a couple of pieces that are really good, and then the rest of it. You know, at some point they have like an edge rusher and they can get pressure on you, but the secondary is, is dreadful. And then they got guys in the secondary, but, you know, the interior, the middle of the defense is, is lacking. It's, they've had a hard time kind of building everything together. And when you're in the SEC West, you know, your margin for error is not going to be that great because as, as resourced as Texas A&M is, obviously Alabama is even more resourced. And Auburn's got that. And LSU's got that. And Ole Miss was – you know, was talented for a while, and obviously Mississippi State. So, uh, and that schedule they got's rough. So, you know, I, I, if they get to if they get to eight wins, I know the A and M fans roll their eyes at that after what they had with someone. But I think that at least would be building the foundation and see where they get to with this recruiting class. I want to throw one more coordinator at you, and and then I want to ask you about uh, position coaches. But what what do you think? Kendall Bryles can deliver at Houston because mm. I, I've kind of got a I'm out there picking Houston for the AAC championship and part of that is is just I don't know counting on Kendall Bryles to be able to bring some punch to that offense what what has been your impression or what have you gathered from from Kendall Bryles in terms of what how that may impact uh, Houston well you know I, I'm curious if if you know, he was around Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin's a really smart offensive mind. I think they they it meshed well. Obviously, they had a good season. You know, is it is it anything he's going to impart from from that? Our our crew has them week three against Texas Tech. You know, obviously everybody knows about how great Ed Oliver is. Uh, they have some athletic guys. I think they got to settle in with okay who's going to be our trigger man here they have a couple of guys who who are talented but very different uh at least physically are very different and i think when you know now that is this is this back in kendall bryle's comfort zone more here i mean this is a this is a big opportunity for him i think that major applewhite really you know he went to bat for him 
You know, that yeah. was not an easy hire to make, you know, for your AD, for your university. And so I don't know. I mean, I look at, at that, that conference where, you know, Navy's always going to be good. I think, uh, I don't, I think UCF may take a step back. I'm not as sold on the hire there, especially going from Scott Frost to, to Josh Heupel, but there's, you know, they're still talented. USF is still talented. Um, I don't know. I think Sonny Dykes is going to have to do some work there because, you know, he lost a couple of really good receivers at, at SMU, really, really good for that league. Um, but Houston should be one of the best teams in that league. So, so how much better does the offense get? I mean, major, major, I, I think knew he was, he was stepping out there. So, you know, what, what's the expectation going to be? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I didn't think they were going to be quite as good as it sounds like you do, but look, they, they still have plenty of firepower. It's just, I feel like they've, they've kind of sputtered from time to time and been inconsistent and maybe now that they'll have more of an identity because we know what, what that Bryles offense has looked like in the past. That's just because uh, Barton and I have talked to each other into Derek King. We just figure that if you're the leading returning fun to watch. passer, you know, I mean, rusher, and receiver. I, he's fun to watch, I think. Just remember, remember him come through like the Elite 11 and come through that stuff. He was He's not the prototype, but he's fun to watch. And I'm, cur- you know, I'm very interested to see how he'll fit in and what kind of stuff they can do with him. What did you see um, either uh, from your reporting or or the conversations that you've had, or even what you can glean last uh, last season with the coaching carousel, there was before Chad Morris was introduced, there was obviously the, the Gus Malzahn angle, but there was also, you know, speaking of the American athletic conference, there was Mike Norvell. And I, I would, I'll throw this at you over under, um, one and a half more seasons for Mike Norvell at Memphis. Uh, whew. I will say I'll take the over. Really? Why do you think that? I I think he'll be be choosy on it. Uh, he'll have Brady White for at least two more years. I think Brady White like graduate. You know, like I think Brady White may have three years of eligibility left. Um, you know, I when I look at the again now as we're taping this, a huge job could come open. But uh, right. I mean, when I look at it, I don't think we're going to have the same level of jobs this year as we did last year, where he had a bunch in the SEC. He actually had a bunch on the West Coast. Mike Norrell is one of those guys that because he coached in the Pac-12, because he's you know, also still from SEC country, like I think you could see him in a bunch of different places, and he's an offensive guy. Um, you know, when I look at the landscape now, I mean, I think of the group of five guys who I think is the hottest commodity, I would put Neil Brown from Troy as the top guy. And then I think you have a couple other guys where Mike Norvell's in that pack with with Scott Satterfield. And I would I'd put Jason Campbell from Toledo in there. Um, but I just don't know if there are going to be that many that many plum jobs that you would leap for. And so that's why I think he may he may stay he may stay a little longer. Is that is the Neil Brown? Is that a Bruce? I think Neil Brown's one of the best out there, or is that a man? ADs are really buzzing about this guy. It's it's both. I mean, I think yeah. he's really really smart. Look, I mean, he people remember they went to Baton Rouge and beat LSU. I think a lot of people forgot they almost beat Clemson, who was the eventual national champs. I mean, he is checking off all the boxes. He is smart. He is he is approachable. He is he is developing kids 
you know, beyond just the football side of it, he's developing his assistants. I think he's really figured out a lot of stuff. And he's one of these coaches that I think looks like that's, you know, looks like the coach of the 21st century, not like one of a lot of these guys who are now giving their universities problems because maybe they don't see the big picture. Maybe they're stuck I, in another era. That's why I think he's going to resonate well um, with a lot of ADs. How do you, how have you seen the coaching position change? Uh, I mean, you've, you, you have, you have had an insider look at so many different shifts within the college football landscape. And, you know, as we are recording this, the Ohio state uh, university leaders are talking about urban Meyer. We've got obviously an ongoing investigation and an uncertain future for DJ Durkin at Maryland. You know, there's, there have been multiple uh, instances of a coach losing his job in the big 10 over the last five or six years. Where, where do you think we're headed as the, the coaching job in college football continues to evolve? I think coaches are kind of reeling right now because I think they're looking at how, you know, even from a, from a micro standpoint of urban Meyer's comments at big 10 media days, which certainly created a lot more problems for him is okay. What do we say on sensitive issues? We have to be really disciplined about this urban Meyer say whatever you want was not disciplined in his answers and got himself all tied up and tripped up in a lot of stuff. And I think that they are going to have to be very vigilant in, in how they, what they say and how they handle things. And I think, again, you know, the Sandusky case from whatever it is now, six years ago, um, that I think reinforced for a, a few guys and really opened a lot of people's eyes of, okay, what is my responsibility if something really horrible happens around me? And the Baylor case was another example of that. And certainly with Ohio State now, with Zach Smith, and wh what is, like, how responsible and how, like, immature behavior on the, on the bare minimum and something a lot more maybe nefarious beyond just being immature. Some of those things is like, okay, are, are there things we know about or are there things we're doing something about? Because the reality is Urban Meyer's career is, is in jeopardy not because he took a chance on, on some guys who were talented, but maybe shaky character guys. It's because he hung on to a guy who had a really shaky character who was on his staff and that can, you know, ruin the whole thing. And I think that kind of stuff, I think coaches and the people who they listen to are going to have to be a lot more, um, mindful of those things can, can ruin the whole thing. I don't care how many leadership books you have. I don't care how many speakers you bring in. I mean, to me, that's, that's some of that stuff is just common sense. And I'm not saying like we, you know, any one of the three of us couldn't do, make a really dumb decision right. that could be detrimental. It's just like, what are we thinking here? You know, it, right. it, it matters. And uh, I think that's something that they need to, they need to really hammer home. Is there a staff that you would say you have confidence in, uh, in the way that they've been set up or the, the messaging or the program they've built where they would be, uh, equipped to handle, you know, as, as things continue to evolve and move forward, where you, you think that that's, that's a staff where we won't have this kind of situation happen? That's a good question. I feel like I got to think about that for a second. Um, you know, like when I think of stuff like that, I always feel like, okay, Stanford is really smart because David Shaw, like will say, Hey, if anybody's going to wants to jump out there on social media, they got to, 
you know, I want them to think it through. And like I, the person who really comes to mind beyond that, and I had a great sit down with Chris Peterson at Washington yeah. is because he talks about that stuff and he's really, he is, he's very smart. And I think he's, he's all, he's all about developing players. And a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if it was two weeks ago or last week, you know, Barton, Barton and I are at this uh, personnel symposium where all these recruiting and personnel people around college football are. And one of the fascinating things was hearing somebody in there talk about working for Chris Peterson and how he evaluates and what, what he prioritizes really is different than a lot of other top programs. And it, cause it factors into a lot more than just like, you know, size, speed and what, what we see on film. Now, obviously that stuff matters too, but from that perspective, and just knowing a lot of the guys on the staff and how they connect with kids, I think Washington is very well equipped to deal with that. I think that, that's a – I was thinking the same thing as you started to talk about Chris Peterson, um, listening to that symposium and hearing a guy who's worked for both Chris Peterson and Kirby Smart talk about how Chris Peterson basically doesn't want to – you know, he has to see a transcript and you have to know all about his off-field before they turn the tape on. Whereas at Georgia, they're just looking for freaks. And it's sort of this, it, it's both, both, I think you can win and be run a clean program, run a, run both ways. But I thought it was just fascinating that Chris Peterson really does sort of, he, he appears to be everything that, that his image presents himself to be. Uh, so, but I, I wanted to get, as also before we get to the hot seat, because that's what we're kind of get you out of here with. But I also wanted to give you a, an opening to sort of point to a couple of maybe position coaches that you see as rising stars. Could you highlight a few of these in your pieces for the athletic from time to time? Yeah. Um, a couple a of couple, those guys would be. Yeah. A couple of guys. I'll, I'll start, um, you know, I'll start, I'll start on the West coast uh, where I'm from, you know, court Dennison at Oregon. He was a really good player up in the pack. Yep. I guess better in the pack 10 when he played, even though he's not that old. Uh, you know, everyone I talk to up there really thinks highly of him, and I think he'll do well. He was at Louisville, and Crystal Ball was able to bring him back. I think he's really good. Another guy in the in the Pac-12 who's relatively new back there is Justin Fry. He's Chip Kelly's offensive offensive line coach, and he was a Steve Adazio guy who's a good offensive line offensive line guy to to learn from. But also, I think as UCLA gets momentum, I think you'll see a couple of these guys. Just like what we saw at Oregon when Chip Kelly was up there, I think you'll see Justin Fry and another guy, Jimmy Doherty, who's really well known on the West Coast in recruiting circles. Jimmy is is a passing game coordinator. He's the receivers coach. He was a holdover. I think those guys will will emerge as guys to keep an eye on. Um, from from uh, SEC country, I think I think there's a couple of guys from from uh, Moorhead staff who I think are, are worth keeping an eye on. Andrew Briner. Who's his quarterback coach? Who was the who was the head coach at Fordham as a as a really at a young age? I think he has a chance, you know, a couple of years from now for being a head coach. I also think Charles Huff. You talk yeah. to people who were around him at, at previous staffs. Charles Huff had been a special teams coordinator, and as a special teams coordinator, you're in front of the whole team. And I think with that, it gives you a chance to really develop as you know, presentation wise. And I think that that's important. Um, and we've seen more and more guys emerge as, as head coaching opportunities from that path. So I would put him in there. I'd also, just from being out at TCU, a, a guy who I think, you know, I mentioned Sonny Cumbie, but uh, Paul Gonzalez, 
who I think was a baseball player in college, you know, you learn the Gary Patterson system. I think that's pretty coveted because you're learning from as good as there is. I mean, Gary's obviously super hands-on, but I think, I think he's really good. And then, you know, with, with Michigan has a bunch of really experienced guys, you know, when you look at obviously Don Brown and, and Greg Madison, but there's another guy that, uh, you know, over there, I think uh, Chris Partridge, yeah. really good recruiter, another special teams guy working with the DBs. I think he has a chance to really catch a lot of people's eyes and I think go up, become a coordinator and then move on. And then, and then they'll, probably the last guy I would mention, and I wrote about him the other day is Josh Gaddis. I think uh, Alabama, Nick Saban had to kind of flip his staff and to me, Josh Gaddis was, was a great hire. I mean, you look at the receivers he's developed in a relatively short time at, at his three stops. Players relate to him. I think he has a chance to be really, really good. I mean, I, I, I'll be surprised if Josh Gaddis is not a, is not a real head coach in, in somewhere in FBS within the next four years. Mm. Yeah, and he and it, it, like – He's sort of the modern day coach in the sense that he can recruit, he gets recruiting, but he can coach too. Like, I think early in his career, he was sort of viewed as this recruiter, and then he just kept on pumping out receivers that were so polished. Um, so I think that's going to be great to see him work with those, you know, those all those talented rising sophomores in that receiving room that that could just blow up with two of throwing and, in the football. And not just and not just that part. And think about this. So he worked for James Franklin. He's a really good coach and does you know comes from the offensive side. Now he's getting now he's getting to be around Nick Saban and have the perspective of Nick Saban. And I think sometimes Nick Saban has has taken guys who are who at one point felt like they were a little like in the broken toys bin where they'd been somewhere, maybe had some issues, you know, certainly had some positive attributes and Nick Saban, you know, kind of polished them up. And Josh Gaddis, and I think in Pete Golding certainly would fall in this category too. Right. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you have guys who I think have a lot of potential, have impressed people every step of the way, have grown and continue to grow. And now I think you know being around Saban, I think that gives them an added perspective that's going to help them when they're in line for head coaching jobs. Well, you hinted at it earlier. Um, let's 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 start talking hot seat. What are, what are the jobs that? Particularly as we start to get into, man, it seems the coaching carousel starts earlier and earlier every year. Uh, as long as we don't have any retirements or premature firings, I guess uh, we'll we'll see if that occurs again. What what jobs do you think you're circling right now as the ones to keep an eye on going into 2018? Well, there's one right near you, and it's at your the school you probably hate the most, and that's in Chapel Hill. You know, Larry Fedora had a terrible season last year. Uh, I, I've always heard that he has a good relationship with Bubba Cunningham. His AD really likes him. But terrible year last year. I don't know how much better. They're going to have to get marketably better. He didn't help himself at all when he became kind of a, you know, goes viral with his comments from ACC Media Day. And, uh, you know, I like Larry Fedora. I thought at one point Larry Fedora was a guy who, if he had a big year, could springboard into a really big SEC or, or Big 12 job. But now I don't. I just think that it went south on him, and I, I'm not exactly sure why. But once you once you have such a bad year at a place where it's not like the expectations are like Texas A&M or Auburn expectations, but you have one of the better jobs in the ACC. I know it's a basketball school and all, but it's still I think there's that. Uh, I think Cliff Kingsbury saved his job last year, but you know they've gotten better on defense. 
but they're going to have to get a lot better on offense now, I think, to support it. There's, you know, breaking in a new quarterback. I think when you look at their schedule, it's not a stretch to think that they have a, they could end up 1-5 and five when they start this year. And even if they're 2-4, and four, that's hard to, to work through when, you're, when everyone's going to be talking about hot seat and, and the kind of the temperature around the program. And then I'll give you a, a couple of quick ones. Uh, Illinois and Lovey Smith. I know they're really young. They were horrible last year. They they got to show some improvement. East Carolina, another one that's gone south in a hurry. Uh, Colorado, I think Mike McIntyre has a chance to get him at least to a, to a bowl game, but there's definitely pressure on him and certainly pressure on David Beatty. He took over a horrible situation. I think he's got him a little better, but they got to get a lot better, I think, before people can say, all right, we're just losing patience. There's just too many big losses here for us. But to your point, I mean, what's the best of those jobs? Is it North Carolina? Yeah, I, I think it probably is. You know, like I think Colorado is a pretty good job. To me, the toughest one is Kansas. You're only going to get three non-conference games. You know, now that uh, Matt Campbell's at Iowa State, Iowa State is, is not going to be a pushover for anybody. I mean, they had two top five wins. I just think Kansas is a tough job. I think Illinois with Scott Frost going to Nebraska and certainly Jeff Brom going to Purdue, that just made that the softer division, just a lot more competitive. I think Texas tech is an okay job, but I, when I look at North Carolina, I mean, you do have resources. You're in a pretty good recruiting area and it's a good school to recruit to. I mean, you can, you can get kids interested to come there. So to me, of those jobs, I think it's it's clearly number one, probably followed by Colorado. He had a uh, Larry Fedora had an interesting quote actually in the Athletic during the State of the Program series. He said, "Last year, I learned a lot about my team, my program, and my fans." And it was the my fans that I kind of circled because while the Tar Heels roster was losing players to injury left and right. I think that the fan base was still very much basking in the glory of a basketball national championship. And there's a matter of an indoor facility that was supposed to be built by September 1st and continues to get delayed. I, I just don't see that relationship. I know his relationship with Bubba Cunningham is good and Bubba Cunningham certainly sticks up for Larry Fedora and has had the opportunity opportunity to, but I, I wonder if the, the fit of capital F football under attack, you know, college station, Texas boy, and the Chapel Hill scene. I, don't, I wonder if that's uh, if that's still still working. It looks like it's on shaky ground at this point, you know. And it, it hasn't helped that they've had some acad- a major academic scandal that was lingering around around the the athletic department for a long time. Um, you know, I I don't I, again I don't know why it kind of it, it went the other way because I thought Larry Fedora was like a big year away from being in line to maybe get a, have a shot at Texas A&M or something like that. But then it just seemed to implode. Now it's not to say he can't get it back on track, but um, it's, it's something, something just seems like it's just lost momentum and it's really hard to get it back there. I know NC state, you know, were trending last year, you know, it was like the developmental wise, like that was a really good team. You know, Duke is now, you think about this just in the state there, Duke is not a punchline. Now, I don't think they're, they're never going to be what Clemson or Florida State are, but they're, they're respectable. Dave Clawson's done a really nice job quietly at Wake Forest. They're respectable. Like, there's a lot of okay teams in the ACC. I feel like there's 
There's three teams that have a chance to be powerhouses. There's a really good team in Virginia Tech. And there's a bunch of teams who are all, you know, depending on a, on the year, could be four and eight or seven and five. And there's, it's rare to see them springboard out of that. And I think North Carolina is one of those that you think should have been at the top, or end, top, top end of that, but they just aren't. And it's just, uh, I think they've got to evaluate a lot of stuff if Larry doesn't get it going in a hurry this season. I know you liked Louisville a little bit more than maybe I do coming into this season, but I wouldn't be wouldn't be shocked if things went south there. I mean, Petrino's boy Tom Jurich is gone. Um, I don't know. I think that could be a job to look out for, considering that you know they may be uh, chomping at the bit to go get uh, Jeff Brom. Go get him. I mean, if yeah. I'm them now, like you tell me Jeff Brom's coming, I would say I'm going to get him before somebody in the Big Ten tries to scoop him up or somebody in the NFL figures it out. Uh, I know he's from there. He wants to be there. Uh, I think he's I think he's fantastic. Yeah. And with Bobby Petrino, look, they had a scandal on their staff with one of the one of their position coaches had a really ugly incident, you know, the week before the season. Anytime you have some of that stuff, I think it takes on different weight at at uh, at Louisville and at Tez at other places because people are looking at it and going, well, "What do you expect? Bobby Petrino is your head coach, you know." Where it, it it's unfortunate that it's that it's framed that way, but just like there's an, almost no pretense when you look like it was you sold your soul for winning because of a guy whose reputation was so in the toilet, and then you obviously had what you had with Rick Pitino. And the ugly scandals there. I mean, it's like, I mean, talk about a dark cloud of an athletic approach. You know, right. like Lamar Jackson was the shining star around that. I think, and I don't know if this is where you were going with that, but I almost think like, you know what, Jurich is gone. Let's turn the page. We're going to bring a, a, a local hero back. He's really good. He doesn't have a stink on him. You know, let's clean this thing up altogether. I mean, I'm... Yeah. I, I don't know if you do that if Bobby like I think Bobby Petrino is a good enough X and O's coach, even without without Lamar Jackson. Where you know what he can get them to seven and five, maybe eight and four. I don't think they're much better than that anymore. But can you fire him at Louisville if he's eight and four? I don't know if you can. Yeah, well, if I'm, you go six and six or something, though, I could you know that, that maybe yeah, then then yeah. you have the opportunity to clean up, I guess. I, yeah. I think that if you if you are in if you are rooting for the narrative or the storyline that um, Brom will be able to will get snatched by Louisville before he gets picked up by a Big Ten team, I would almost look at because uh, I think uh, the Vince Tyra, the new athletic director there, I think he made the Chris Mack hire. And the fact that he was able to go out and get him when Mac had a good situation at Xavier, I I would say that that would be encouraging if you're rooting for that story. Yeah, I, I mean, look again. I think there's so much baggage you already have there. Like, it's it's weird to have somebody on the hot seat who wins. But again, I think there's so many so many uh, ex, extenu- extenuating circumstances that are attached to that program now. I think it's probably something that they probably need to evaluate. All right, um, Bruce. Like this is this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being the star of our the coaches episode as part of our preseason series. You can follow Bruce Feldman on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. You get to watch him on Fox Sports and FS1. You get to read him at the Athletic. You can pick up any of his New York Times bestselling books. Bruce, thank you very much. My pleasure. It was fun, guys.